And welcome to Taxing Matters, your one-stop audio shop for all things tax, brought to you by RPC. My name is Alice Kemp, and I will be your guide as we explore the sometimes hostile and ever-changing landscape that is the world of tax law and tax disputes. Taxing Matters brings you a fortnightly roadmap to guide you and your business through this labyrinth. In case any of you miss any crucial information or just want some bedtime reading, There is a full transcript of this and indeed every episode of Taxing Matters on our website at www.rpc.co.uk forward slash taxing matters. delighted to be joined by Simon York, Her Majesty's Revenue and Customs Chief Investigation Officer and Director of its Fraud Investigation Service. Simon, an incredibly busy man, as you can already tell by his mouthful of a job title, has agreed to join us today to talk about the Fraud Investigation Service and HMRC's focus on countering the rise of professional enablers of tax fraud. Simon, welcome to Taxing Matters. Thank you, Alice. Delighted to be here. So I think the first question we've got to start with is, what exactly is the Fraud Investigation Service and where does it fit within HMRC? Okay, HMRC as a whole essentially is about helping the citizens of the UK pay the right tax. And I use the word help intentionally because for the majority of people, businesses, it's about pointing them in the right direction. It's about making things easy for them. And I think that's reflected in the fact that the tax collection rates in the UK are pretty high. We think we I mean, we collect about 95% of the tax legally due, and that's an awful lot of money to fund UK public services. But my part of the organisation, the Fraud Investigation Service, is the Tax Crime Enforcement Division of, of HMRC. And that sits in the part of HMRC that's there to ensure the full and correct amount of tax is collected. So what's FIS's mandate? What exactly does it do? So when I said about 95% of the tax is collected, that missing 5% covers an extremely broad range of behaviours, from people who make mistakes right through to those individuals seeking to deliberately commit fraud and evasion. And within this, my team focuses on that most serious end, that most serious and complex sort of tax fraud bit. But even then, we're dealing with a really wide variety of behaviours. So it might be global organised crime groups controlling international trade in illicit cigarettes, It might be small groups of well-resourced professionals creating complex schemes to avoid tax. It might be super wealthy individuals hiding huge amounts of money offshore. It can also be phoenixism, other forms of deliberate non-payment. Essentially, Alice, it's any serious fraud in relation to any of HMRC's responsibilities. In terms of range, we've investigated frauds perpetrated by high-profile barristers, accountants, lawyers, investment bankers, company directors. We've tackled money launderers, tobacco smugglers, international VAT fraudsters. And we're also specifically targeting some of the professionals who help enable others to commit tax crimes, ensuring that they pay the price just as firmly as those who actually commit the fraud. And in terms of what we're trying to do, Alice, we're all about demonstrating that there's a level playing field for all, that they honest citizens of the UK, the legitimate businesses of the UK, none of those will be disadvantaged by following the rules and by being compliant, that we will recover the fraudulently obtained money and assets. So that's a bit about what we're about and the things that we do. So how many of you are there? 
About 5,000 in FIS. 5,000 out of about the 60,000 that's in HMRC as a whole. Real mixture of skills and types of people, so criminal investigators, tax professionals, cybercrime experts, insolvency experts, intelligence analysts, a whole range of things that we need to do that. So we created our fraud investigation. It was about five years ago. And since that moment in 2016, Just to give you a feel for the scale, really, we've initiated more than 76,000 civil cases of varying types and scale, more than 4,000 criminal investigations. And by doing all of that and other things, we've secured and protected more than £25 billion over that period for the UK and secured 3,700 criminal convictions for serious fraud. Now, I think those are pretty big numbers by any comparison. When we're talking about tax fraud, what exactly are we meaning here? Tax fraud is about dishonesty. It pretty much remains the same as it's always been. It's about deliberately evading paying taxes or duties which are due or dishonestly making claims for reliefs or repayments that aren't due. So it can include things like individuals and companies deliberately failing to declare their income. It also includes people perhaps smuggling goods which are liable for excise duty. And it can include individuals or groups of individuals making false income tax repayments, either single or, as we often see, you know, whole swathes of repayments. So those are some examples of the sort of thing we would class as tax evasion. So how has this changed and varied over time? At its heart, it's similar to it's always been. It's about secrecy, it's about dishonesty, it's about hiding things. But the methods by which tax fraud are carried out are becoming increasingly complex, sophisticated, global in nature. And we're seeing fraudsters are really exploiting all of the advantages that the modern world has to offer. Virtual currencies, encrypted communications, financial systems that enable the movement of money around the globe so quickly. We're also increasingly seeing the use and abuse of complex corporate structures to obfuscate the fraudulent activity and mask the individuals behind it. Alongside all of that, there's an increasing presence of technology as an enabler of fraud, not just in line with wider consumer trends like, you know, encryption or consumer tracking advices, but also in terms of bespoke criminal tools. And additionally, fraudsters are very able to rapidly identify and then exploit recently established processes or products. So some of the sort of aspects of the tax system, most recently, perhaps some of the COVID-19 schemes, things like that. We had to COVID buzzword in there somewhere. Indeed, it's just a good recent example. The increasingly sophisticated, I would say, and international nature of tax fraud, it's partly, I think, a reflection of our and our global partners' success. You know, it's not easy to commit tax fraud and get away with it. And as we have begun to close in on people, those evaders that remain have turned to increasingly complex, diverse, and I would say risky Uh, structures and approaches to avoid detection. So that's, I think, some of the things we would say that have seen a change over the last decade or so. And are there any other trends or risks that the Fraud Investigation Service are picking up on right now? These trends of complexity, innovation, more global approach, perhaps the biggest changes that we've seen. But a recurring theme driven by that complexity is one of professional help, professional direction, professional support being an increasingly vital 
element of tax fraud, particularly when there's offshore aspects to it and that sort of thing. The fraudsters require professional enablers, facilitators to help them identify or sometimes even manage the institutions that they need to conceal and transfer wealth anonymously in order to help them evade their tax or launder the proceeds of their crime. Indeed, actually, we've seen the roles of those enablers develop too. So perhaps where once it might be a simple intermediary, perhaps being unwittingly complicit in introduction and relationships they're making. We've seen people becoming their more fully involved partners in supporting tax evasion to occur right through to a position where the enablers themselves are the instigators. Mm -hmm. They're pushing risk-taking would-be fraudsters into taking that next step. Although important to say, I think, Alice, for the record, the vast majority of professionals, all those working in the financial services sector, whose products or advice criminals want to access, are actually a huge force for good and are important partners with us in the fight against tax crime. So this is very much a minority I'm talking about. So I think that gives rise to my next question, which is, what is the difference between a professional enabler or someone who's helping and just a professional? There isn't a distinction necessarily. The term professional enablers gets used a lot and tends to mean those who are professionally qualified. But if you like, they're really just a sort of subset of enablers. Someone who isn't professionally qualified can be just as harmful, if not more so, than those who are operating in slightly different ways and need a different kind of response from us. But they're still very much under that banner of enablers. We're talking about simply anyone who helps someone commit crime. And and whilst public might often think of accountants or solicitors or banks, it is much broader than that. The way we think of it is any third party or service provider that helps or supports someone commit fraud. How prevalent have we seen be over time? This is something I talk about quite a lot, Alice. As we've got better at tackling the more traditional types of tax crime, those who really don't want to comply with their obligations are having to turn to the more risky methods, as I mentioned earlier. They very much will need the assistance of third parties or enablers. So I think they have become far more of a necessity for the determined tax evader. And, you know, we've seen things, haven't we, with some of the big data leaks and investigations in organisations like the ICIJ, the Panama Papers, for example, and the Paradise Papers, the role of professionals in supporting people with evasion, with fraud, with crime, or with very aggressive avoidance. So, you know, that's a good example that the public can quite easily get hold of and see the scale of some of it. So is the professional enabler something that HMRC were looking at and aware of before these data leaks started? We were very much aware of the role of professional enablers and we'd often end up investigating professional enablers or tackling professional enablers, possibly more as a byproduct, though, of investigations into fraudsters themselves. The Panama Papers particularly, I think, was a key moment in terms of definitely public and political consciousness around tax fraud. As you'd expect, the UK's tax authority knew quite a lot of that already. Panama and offshore tax evasion wasn't a surprise to us, but it was still useful for us. We gleaned a lot of useful intelligence from that in relation to already ongoing investigations and also some stuff that led us to new investigations. So it was useful and it was useful in terms of building our understanding. Absolutely. So we did get some additional insight into the role of certain enablers or professionals in that sort of thing. So whilst it wasn't the direct catalyst for what we're doing currently, it was certainly part of 
I think what led us to take a more organized and formal programmatic approach, if you like, to changing our strategy and saying, let's put some more specific focus on enablers. So yes, it was an issue before, but Panama Papers and things like that were part of a series of things which led us to a slightly different approach. Taking that cue, what is HMRC's approach to the rise of enablers now? Again, first, just to reiterate that we don't see all accounts, lists, banks, etc., as being complicit with criminality. Far from it. It's an obvious point, I guess, but I think worth being just really clear on that. There's a full spectrum of behaviour we see from those who are broadly compliant but have been duped or deceived by criminals, perhaps to some carelessness or negligence. They'd asked a few more questions, they would have realised something was wrong, right through to those who are generally complicit in the criminality. So what we've been doing is trying to raise awareness, educate the compliant and the careless into better protecting themselves and making much more difficult for criminals to take advantage of service providers. And then that really leaves the complicit enablers for whom we reserve our toughest compliance response using the full range of criminal and civil powers that we have in FIS, including, of course, the corporate criminal offence, which you've chatted to Sam Dean about in a previous edition of this podcast, I think. Yes. So in part of that strategy, and you mentioned this earlier, HMRC has built partnerships to counter tax fraud and to deal with the rise of professional enablers. How have these come about, thinking specifically at the moment about international cooperation? Tax fraud is a global issue, it's an international issue, and it needs an international response. And over the last decade or more, I'd say the UK has been at the forefront of a raft of policy changes and information exchanges that we've developed across the international community. I'm thinking of automatic exchange of information, in particular common reporting standards, under which we now got more than 100 jurisdictions are, are automatically exchanging financial account data. That's an enormous sea change. It means we've gone from an environment where jurisdictions would routinely use strict secrecy rules to frustrate any requests for tax information. I remember when I was first running my own tax investigations earlier in my career, and if you didn't have direct intelligence, or even if you did, you came across a Swiss bank account, you were stuck. (laughs) And, you know, we've gone from that environment to where those same jurisdictions are routinely exchanging financial account details with us and the rest of the world. And talk about those international partnerships. So a lot of that has been driven by and informed by the OECD. And we are a very active participant in that organisation. On the tax crime side, it's an organisation that does a really good job sharing best practice. Tax authorities across the world are at different stages of development. We're one of the most highly developed, but we play a role in supporting others across the globe in sharing our experience and helping them develop too. So we've been involved in that for a long time, but the most recent development, Alice, is something we've called the J5, the Joint Chiefs of Global Tax Enforcement. And that was something that really was born out of the OECD in many ways. I hosted the OECD Forum on Tax Crime in November 2017 in London, actually. And that was where we did talk about the corporate criminal offence, we talked about enablers, we talked about criminals not being confined by jurisdictional boundaries. And I thought we needed to do something more operational to begin to make more of a difference there. So I approached my fellow chiefs, my fellow directors in Australia, Canada, Netherlands, the US to take up this OECD call to action and do something that would make a tangible and practical difference. And that's what we're on with now, really. So I think this is going from strength to strength. It's probably the thing I'm most personally and professionally proud of over the last few years. In its first year of being together, we shared 
more information, more intelligence than we had in the previous 10 years combined between the five organizations. We've got a good pipeline of operational and intelligence activity between us. You may have seen publicity last year, we had a global day of action against a Central American bank that we suspect of facilitating tax evasion and money laundering across the globe. So this is something like I've never seen in my career because international cooperation isn't easy for a you know a whole host of reasons. Yeah. But we have got five chiefs, five countries really committed to this and it is beginning to make a real difference, I think. So it's a more of a watch this space. There's definitely a watch this space. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Fantastic. very much, Simon, for giving us an overview of the FIS and its strategic focus. A full transcript of this episode, together with our references, can be found on our website, www.rpc.co.uk forward slash taxing matters. And you can find Simon on LinkedIn, where he provides regular updates on FIS and links to articles he's written. If you have any questions for me or for Simon, or any topics you'd like us to cover in a future episode, please do email us on taxingmatters at rpc.co.uk. We'd love to hear from you. As ever, a big thank you goes to Josh McDonald, who does all of the work pulling each episode together. Our music is from musical genius Andrew Waterson, who also produces each episode. And of course, a big thank you to all of our listeners for joining us. If you like Taxing Matters, why not try RPC's other podcast offering, Insurance Covered, which looks at the inner workings of the insurance industry, hosted by the brilliant Peter Mansfield, and available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, and our website. If you like this episode, please do take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe. And remember to tell a colleague about us. Thank you all for listening and talk to you again in two weeks. Bye.